In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. You do it. You do it. You do it well. Thank you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, whoa, 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 whoa. welcome back to the True Life Podcast. Hope everybody's having a beautiful day. Hope the sun is shining. I hope the wind is at your back. I hope that you realize there's something beautiful about to happen in your life. I got a great show for you today. And normally I start off with an introduction for someone that is based upon all their accomplishments. This gentleman I have today has an incredible amount of accomplishments, but I thought I would start off with a little something different. So here we go with a new type of true life introduction for the one and only Amil Patel. In nature's gentle tapestry, I find my remedy, a whisper from the earth, a Sufi symphony. Medicine from meadows, secrets in the breeze, a celebration of life, the soul at ease. Beneath the azure sky where wild flowers sway, healing hands of nature, a gift each day. In meadows bathed in gold and forests deep and wise, the elixir of existence in every sunrise. The dance of leaves, a waltz with dappled light, heals the spirit's wounds in nature's tender sight. The river's lullaby, a soothing sweet refrain, medicine flows within, washing away the pain. Within the garden's heart blooms of every hue, nature's silent whisper, healing ever true. Herbs and petals and delicate embrace bring solace to the soul, a touch of nature's grace. Each sunrise, a new verse in life's sacred song, nature's pharmacy abundant, a place to belong. Among the ancient trees beneath the open sky, medicine and beauty in every butterfly. With gratitude, we roam through this sacred land, nature's loving touch, her gentle guiding hand. In the Sufi's gaze, we find a sacred trance, medicine in the dance, a timeless, joyful dance. Life's rhythm and its rhyme in every heartbeat found, nature's subtle cure in every sight and sound. Celebrate the gift, the world's magnificent art in the Sufi's embrace, nature's healing heart. Mr. Patel, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thanks, George. That was great. It was beautiful. Well, thank you. I am hopeful that our conversation 
will follow along the lines and people will continue to see not only the poetry that happens to them every day and the dance with nature in their life, but that simple conversations about the future can have real ramifications for people's health going forward. I wanted to throw it to you, my friend. What, what is going on? You and I spoke a little bit before the podcast, but maybe you can give a little bit more of a background on who you are, what you're doing and, and what you see happening in the future. Yeah. Um, uh, that sounds great. Um, I'm a pharmacist. Um, uh, I'm also just a, I'm just a regular guy. Uh, I'm just a regular dude. Um, uh, I'm, uh, I've been, I've been fascinated by, uh, healthcare, uh, in the United States kind of learned, uh, or at least tried to learn, uh, kind of every aspect of how healthcare works, why it works the way it does. And, and it's been a fun ride. Um, uh, I spent the last eight years at a company uh, called Alto Pharmacy. It's a small pharmacy startup that blew up and is, uh, is, is taking care of thousands and thousands of patients really well. I'm proud of uh, the work that Alto has accomplished. And uh, my co-founders and I uh, just started uh, Miko Health uh, this year. And uh, we're, we're focused on our passion uh, as, as mental health and the evolution of mental health and, and uh, the space that we're in. Mental health. So many of us are striving to find and define what that is for ourselves. When you think about mental health and you think about the way you grew up and, and what we're looking at, what do you think are some of the biggest problems on the forefront of mental health in the world today? Um, the biggest problems on the forefront of mental health today. That's a simple question. <laughs> uh, I mean, I can, I, I, I think like taken to the extreme. Yeah. Um, I love zooming out on the X axis of time. Sure. Um, and so when I zoom out in the X axis of time, I think we, have an extraordinarily primitive understanding of mental health. Um, I think human beings, um, human beings like generally want to stay alive, right? Yeah. And uh, that's kind of like the the goal of of biology, I guess, right? Is like stay alive. And so we're incredibly smart creatures. We've we've kind of like poured so much science into the physical side of our bodies and like how to hack staying alive as much as we can. Like we've done incredible work, right? Like yeah. surgery, invasive surgery, um, uh, medication management for disease states. Like we've just like, we've, we've made so much incredible progress on our physical health and we still have a long way to go. I'm so incredibly excited for what the future look like. Uh, gene therapy, I mean, so much potential. When I think about mental health, uh, and, and especially why I'm excited about uh, uh, this period of time. I think about mental health. I think about uh, like kind of objectively we've we've done so little. Uh, and a lot of this is because we've we've shelved kind of these novel therapies, psychedelic therapies for decades, right? right? And that that's that's its own issue and learning. Um, but I think I think the thing, preventing us from this unlock is just more 
rigor and more understanding of mental health and uh and like and 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 where it comes from um i think what we're seeing today like again on this long x-axis of time i think what we're seeing today is this like fascinating kind of like evolution of 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 human consciousness which is like uh in my mind right human consciousness is like basically in aggregate kind of pointing to this gap that exists in 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 humankind right now and this is my perspective i have no idea if this is true right but but this 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 um as as human beings evolve um i think over and again this is over like thousands and thousands of years we've always kind of biology has kind of programmed us to want to survive right we want to survive that is like that is our goal is program into us the day we're born it's like we want to survive right it's like why a baby cries for food or attention right like it's like we'll do anything to survive and i think what we're seeing right now collectively as like as human beings i think we're noticing this evolution of consciousness recognizing these like outdated um uh, uh biological uh uh mechanisms that have served us incredibly well for thousands and thousands of years and so what, what i mean by that is uh i think so much of mental health uh and and i think this is going to prove out as we study this more in the future i think so much of mental health is kind of re- related to your your psyche and your psyche development from childhood through, you know, I don't know, maybe like 11 years old, who knows, yeah. right? But, but it's like the way uh, you as a child experience events and kind of record those events in, in your subconscious mind and develop your psyche into adulthood to be able to uh, uh, kind of face today's challenges and learn and grow and become an independent adult. I think so much of mental health is really tied to these like fundamental uh, needs as a child that relate to safety and acceptance, right? Because safety and acceptance for thousands of years has been this kind of like North star for us to say, we are increasing our chances of survival, right? If we feel safe, we're increasing our chances of survival. If we feel accepted, we have a tribe, right? We're increasing our chances of survival. And I think like those mechanisms brought into 2023, they they don't necessarily serve us in the same way. Like generally today, in today's society, right? You're born and things generally are like working in your favor, right? Like generally have um, food, shelter, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You generally have all the things that you need. Um, But I think uh, what what's like the outdated programming is we go through childhood development, we're developing our psyche, our kind of uh, foundation of how we think about mental health or how we feel. And I, I think there are like events that uh, that occur to us or, or ways that we perceive events. And we kind of store this in our psyche as we build the foundation of mental health in childhood. And it's incredibly outdated, right? And so taken to the extreme, it's like, Oh, me as a child, you know, I felt, um, 
uh, let's say it was like, I felt judged early, uh, early on in my childhood because uh, I got bad grades and I felt so, uh, you know, shamed uh, by my parents. And, and I think this is just like a story that I'm making up, sure. right? But that that's those like simple subtleties of life experiences recorded in your psyche as a child of, you know, a, a lack of acceptance really has a profound impact on how you kind of build the foundation of your mental health into adulthood. And I think that's, I think that's fascinating. I think we have so yeah. much to learn about mental health and childhood development, how you kind of build this framework and foundation for, um, for your emotional well-being as an adult during these childhood processes. And we, do, we just like, we understand so little of that today. And so I think that's fascinating. I think right now is this kind of inflection point in this long tale of history of human beings where we're saying, hey, there is a misalignment here. There's a misalignment in like how we feel as adults and uh, and how we, we've kind of like the, these defense mechanisms that are programmed to protect us, they, they're kind of outdated. And, and I think we have so much to learn, so much opportunity. That's such a beautiful way. Th thank you for that. I think it's a very unique way and a very elegant way to describe where we're at. You know, it, on some level with all the heartache and the pain that we see around us, it seems a lot like birth pangs. You know, we look back and we're so judgmental of the, of the, the foundations or the, the, um, infrastructure that got us. Oh, that was wrong. I can't believe they did that. But maybe we should be celebrating the fact that we're here and now we can look back and be like, okay, let's fix this. Like maybe you should be, you know, when I look back at some of the, mm -hmm. the ways in which we have treated other parts of us and by other parts, I mean us, I, I think it's, in my view, I see us as one giant organism. And I think that that could be a way moving forward to better understand the human condition. And by the human condition, I mean all of us. Because mm -hmm. when you start looking at stuff like the DSM, you start realizing that, hey, these are just symptoms. Everything that they people have written in here, whether it's bulimia or whether it's, you know, uh, ADD or ADHD or, or wh whatever sort of ailment, most ailments seem to be symptoms of a society that's sick. You know, and, and mm -hmm. I think when we, can, when we begin looking at our society as a, as a, as a unit, then we can, we can begin seeing mental health as like, hey, this is our collective health. And if the guy, there's, there's a guy living under the bridge, part of me is sick. Like, how can that happen? I can't let that happen. I have to, I don't have to go out and save him, but I can start working towards making his life better. When you do that, you make your own life better. Do you see the future of mental health being the understanding that we're all part of a super organism? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, again, like taking the extreme, uh, we kind of are, right? I, yeah. I, I love, I love, I, 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 I love, I love thinking things in, in, in a long x-axis. Yes. So like take to take taking the extreme, and it's like like take this take this conflict in, uh, in Israel and Palestine. Yep. Right. Uh, uh, this this conflict in Israel driven by Hamas, and like there's so much there to unpack, and it's like mass like massive atrocity right yep and i think like again like zooming out um i, I don't know it, maybe it sounds silly but it's like there's there's so much hurt and trauma that needs to be resolved and 
and again, like this seems really interesting. It goes back to this deep, deep human condition of safety and acceptance. This is like my 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 land, right? This is my land. Without without land, without a home, how can I be safe, right? Without a place that I call home. This is, this is the essential kind of at the essence of the conflict that's happening uh, 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 to to our to our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. Yes. Right now. This is the essence yep. of the conflict is this deep rooted uh, sense of safety. And again, over the long excess, excess of, X axis of time, we're going to look back. I hope, I really hope, and I actually believe this in my heart to be true. We're going to look back at these events in a, in a textbook and we're going to be like, what, you know, wow. Like what a, what a challenging learning process because it is essentially what is our plan we we have earth and we need to figure out a way to and and earth is is finite it is not infinite it is finite on a long enough x axis of time we are super smart right and so you have to have you have to have uh, some amount of like um uh hope and determination that collectively we're going to make things better. We're going to like actively work on the climate crisis. We're going to actively look on work on a, a, a myriad of different things that are going to allow us to uh, survive and thrive on Earth. But eventually, Earth's going to be non non inhabitable, right? And so we collectively I don't know. need to figure out. Yeah, like it's that's just not going to happen, right? Like we're just the sun's going to expand the whole thing. Well, uh, and bit, so like sorry. we got to figure out what to do collectively. And like when that happens, right? When that happens, I think we're all going to be closer to what you describe, which I think is a good thing. It's like one organism. We're going to be like, like less extreme shades of color, right? We're going to be like more intermingled. Um, I think we're going to like probably sort out a bunch of our religious and, and like beliefs issues. And I think we're going to all be like one very cohesive community and it's a question of like what are all of the struggles and challenges that we're going to face and and overcome inevitably we're going to overcome them on like our slow walk in that direction and there's a lot of pain in the process of fertilization when like a sperm meets an egg do you see, like isn't that kind of what's happening now like you you're seeing the process of fertilization like when when i think about pain when i think about struggle when i think about wars when i think about death i think about something being born like that it seems to me like that's what's happening now you know what blows my mind is the fact that you had mentioned one day we're going to look back on this in our textbooks the very fact that you can imagine us looking back on this i think speaks volumes to me of where we're at you know, the moment you can look back on something means on some level, you're already ahead of it. You can see the past. You can't see the past when you're in it. You know, if, if, if you and I are in the midst of a slugging where we're punching it in the face, we're not thinking about what's going to happen at the end or we're not looking back on it. But I think it speaks volumes of where we're at in the world of mental health when we can already look at where we've been and be like, this is what's happening now. In some ways, we're, we're creating the future by having this conversation. But I do. I, I think that all of the things that we're talking about today, 
are fundamentally going to change mental health for the better. And I, I think it, I think we're struggling to find a worldview. I think we're struggling to find what, a, a, we're struggling to understand shared sacrifice and shared goals. And until you figure that out, you can't really have a solid mental health because there's the struggle in there, right? Is, is it, is there something to be said about, is there something to be said about that? I'll, I'll just pass that back over to you. What do you think? Hmm. I think it's, I don't know. My, my, my take on it is like, it is, it's the human condition to face challenges and overcome challenges. I think in the entirety of our existence, we're going to, we're going to be facing challenges and we're going to have to put our noggins together and figure out how to overcome challenges. I think the reason I believe that is because that is our entire history. It's like the history of humankind. And we've just, we've just, you know, we like work together and put the international space station up in orbit. Like what? We just do incredible, <laughs> right? We do some incredible yes. shit out there. Right. Yeah. And sometimes we forget it. Sometimes we take it for granted. Um, but we're going to figure things out. We're going to, there's like, there's a reason we're here. Yeah. There's a reason we exist. We're going to figure stuff out. Um, and we're going to evolve. It's like, it's in our nature. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's all going to happen really, really slowly and really quickly at the same time. Um, and I think the thing it's like, can we, can we overcome these like inch interpersonal, like in, interhuman challenges so we can be a collective. And I think that's going to, I think, yes. Yeah. Um, I think, yes, like a hundred percent. I believe that in my soul, like, yes, yes. we're going yep. to. Right. And the reason I believe that is because I look back at history. We've done that. Like we have made such incredible progress and we still have more progress to make. And it's going to be at times painful progress. Um, but it's like, if you're, yeah, if you're, if you're sitting on the ride and watching the ride, uh, it's like, it's a messy ride, but you, you know, that, um, you, you, you know, where it's going and it's going in a direction where we collectively have developed just this like radical understanding and radical sense of empathy along this kind of framework of shared goals. And I think those shared goals are going to be around survival and that shared goal around survival and, and um and what it means for how we think about uh evolution i, I think it's going to force us um to really look in the mirror right collectively yeah and i think in looking in the mirror we're going to realize like we need to work together uh, we can choose to work together uh, and we can find ways to address our uh, our differences and yeah and figure things out you know I love it. I love yeah. the, the, the young in the youngian idea of looking in the mirror. You know, when you look at, when you walk, you know what I mean? Like when you walk outside on some level, everybody you see is a mirror and some, on some level, the world is talking to us through us. If you notice something in somebody else that you despise, it's probably because you despise that thing about yourself. If you see something in someone else that you admire, it's probably because you want to foster that thing inside of you. Do you think moving forward in, in the idea of mental health, is understanding that like um is is there a place for our shared history in mental health like we need 
on some level, we need to have this understanding that we are moving forward together as one organism. Is is there a foundation moving forward for mental health in, in the in the world that you want to see? Uh, I mean, I, th I think like center centering mental health around empathy is 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 one is one way to create that framework. And I think um, uh, I think when you kind of center the framework around empathy, you uh, I think it's important that like you start with self-empathy right um uh and and i think yeah i think that's the that, that is the framework right and and that's why i love the 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 kind of Jungian take on um human beings are just like our, our mirror we're mirrors of each other right right because we because we we really are right and that kind of uh uh speaks to this idea that uh we are this one collective um together yeah in my life i found that psychedelics are a great mirror for that you know in heightened states of awareness you're able to see things from a different perspective whether it may have been a trauma that happened in your life or something that happened to someone you love you're given this new perspective on things what role do you think psychedelics can play in moving the ball forward for mental health exactly that perspective shift right i think that's i think that's it i think it's uh i think i think that is exactly the role that psychedelics can play when we think about uh the future of uh mental health and it is it is it is specifically perspective shift i think um human beings are you know we are creatures of narrative we're storytellers mm, we're narrative based we're narrative based creatures right stories have been a part of our existence since since the beginning i've been writing writing shit down with hieroglyphics um yep. and and when you think about stories and mental health it's like mental health uh when you boil it down it's really like how do you feel right and when you're describing someone how you feel you're telling them this like inner story I'm like this is what's going on in my head and it is a story and i think what's what's powerful is this holding holding the idea that there can be many perspectives to this story that you're holding on to. And, and that's where I, I believe psychedelics play a role. Different psychedelics are gonna allow you to look at things uh, in a different light, different way. Um, to me, it's like, you know, you're, you're, it's like you're walking into a castle, this massive castle, and you know, you've just got, you know, you've got your candle, right? It's like super dark and you've got your candle. And to explore this castle, you're like walking around, and you've got your candle and you can really only see what's in front of you right yeah and i think i think when you look when you think about uh explaining your kind of your state of mental health or someone's asking you how you're feeling it, you're you're describing your perspective by holding that candle right that is how that's just how we are yes. and i think really. i think psychedelics kind of allow you to stand inside this castle and you are able to you're able to find the, the the breaker box and you can turn all the lights on in the castle and you're like oh my god right i can see everything right now um and uh and i think that perspective shift with integration is how you kind of uh, uh start to kind of reshape mental health i love it i love the idea of the candle in the darkness you know there's a, there's a 
I don't know where I read it, but it's something along the lines of when you shine a light into the darkness, you're made aware of how much more darkness there is. <laughs> mm, <all of> <laughs> you know, I, I guess that. on some level, on some level too, this reminds me of um, James Joyce's Ulysses, where he speaks about night mm. history is the nightmare from which I'm trying to awaken. And maybe it's our collective history. Maybe it's this history we've been conditioned with our whole life to hold on to. Hey, here's this thing called truth. Hold that for a little while. Well, that mm. idea of holding on to truth gets really heavy. It's really cumbersome, especially when you start bouncing up against ideas like this truth thing over here. I think it's kind of bullshit. You know, how can mm. that be? That's very difficult for someone to hold on to. And I, I think it starts to, the weight of cognitive dissonance starts to break down the barriers around you until you go a little crazy. Like that's gotta be part of the mental health scheme too, right? Yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> I, th I think, you know, I, I think it, I, I think one thing that will, I think one thing that will, will help is really just like education on, yes. on what, like what to expect. Also, like, what is truth? What, you know, what truth is your truth, right? It's like the word, right? It's just a word. And, and when I think about, when I think about, um, what we're doing here, or at least our vision of, of how the space is going to unfold. It's like, and, and just simplifying, it's like, what we're, we're trying to do is like, let's just, you know, what, why, did, why is, why is psychotherapy incredibly helpful and incredibly effective? Um, right. Is essentially like, again, human beings, we're basic creatures. Like we, we, there's something about connecting with another human being and sharing um, uh, in a non-judgmental way, how you, how you're actually thinking and feeling and uh, and sharing that load with someone having someone hold that uh, without judgment uh, and being able to point you in directions to allow that perspective shift and allow you to question truth is is it's you know that is incredibly powerful and i think when you when you add psychedelics as an uh as an adjuvant to to therapy um and and really you're you're just unlocking right human beings are are we are people that uh, we need other people like we are, uh, we need connection, but at the same time, right. We're also like, we, we have all of these defense mechanisms. We can be shy. We can be, you know, uh, uh, we can be stubborn. We can be uncomfortable and all these things that kind of prevent, uh, uh, psychotherapy from actually working. And so bringing in psychedelics and allowing yourself uh, uh, to say like, I'm choosing, right. I'm choosing to allow myself, uh, to embrace the, the discomfort and, and move and move past it, turn down the discomfort, turn down my, my, my fears and, and be able to go in with that mentality. I think going in with the mentality of this is a, this is a choice I'm making. I'm allowing myself to do this because I, I'm allowing myself to explore what's really there. I think having that mindset is just, is, is, is so important in this work. I love it. I, I think our definition of change is changing. If that makes sense. Like for so long, we, we, mm. we see change as like this for, maybe this is just my opinion. Maybe this is the way I have seen it. Maybe, maybe this is why, maybe it's changing for me. So forgive me. I'm not trying to speak in these broad generalizations, but it seems to me that 
for a long time, at least in my life, and some of the people with whom I care about, change has been associated with pain. Like, oh, we cannot, we have to stay here. Like, and it gets back to the idea of survival or land or some of the stuff we brought up in the, the earlier part of the conversation. Sometimes to change is to die. And if you, even if you look at that from metaphorically, but maybe that's a good thing. And it's very difficult to try to equate death with something good because we've been conditioned in the West our whole life to think well, that's it. You, when you die, you're gone. But maybe change associated with death equals growth. You know, maybe if we can change that mindset a little bit, it's not the end of the line. It's it's not that this is it. See you guys later. We got some nice parting gifts for you. Um, hopefully you don't end up in a in a in a nursing home on a machine where no one comes to visit you. You know, maybe it's, hey, you've been consuming as this caterpillar, the cocoon is here, and now you're a new form. Maybe mental health moving forward means changing our relationship to death. Emil, what do you think? I think death is scary. Um, and, um, and I think, I think people are always going to be worried about death. Um, I think I think that's good. I think that's good to be uh, to have a healthy fear of death. Um, I think when I think about, I don't know. I'm interpreting death in your context as almost okay. like uh, as almost like someone is letting a part of themselves, like an old part of themselves, die, yes. right? Yes. And finding a yep. new find, uh, and and I think that I think. My perspective on that is I don't necessarily agree with that perspective. Okay. Uh, I don't know if, um, again, like I think, I think holding that perspective for people can be a little bit unnerving or frightening. Like oh, I'm, I'm going to like radically change as a human being. Like there's an old me and a new, and, and I, and, and I think I go back to what we were chatting about earlier with this, just like radical self empathy and like nothing needs to die. Right. Mm. He's just like, you, you, you are, you are perfect. You are absolutely perfect. The way you are, you have been perfect since the day you were born. Um, uh, no change needed. Um, right. But if you're willing to, and if you want to, and I, I believe everyone should be able to have the opportunity to, to grow and, and broaden your perspective and learn like again, we are human beings. We're like we're the most curious forms of, of 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 life that we know of to date, right? We're incredibly curious, and so to allow people that are that are ready to to for for people that are ready to to allow them to get curious about themselves in a way that um, uh, helps them with their mental health, and 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 really just uh, allows people. Uh, to have a sense of agency in their lives is incredible, and and I don't think um, I don't think the the framework of 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 people going into psychedelic assisted psychotherapy as thinking about ego death or or mm. there's an old me and a new me. Um, I, I think like in general, I think the framework here is is just the evo your evolution your ability to broaden your perspective and continue to grow. And you're always yeah. going to have parts of you, right? Like you, you, you're born, you've been perfect since the day you were born. Um, but, but when you're ready to explore 
And, and if the, this kind of modality of treatment allows you to have uh, a higher sense of agency in your life, then, then that, that if it's right for you, then, then, that, then that's an opportunity you should go after. I love it. What about a whirlpool? Like maybe, maybe we're a form, like, like the, you know, the water, the whirlpool is a form, but there's constantly new water being recycled through it. Is that better than the, uh, the one of dying? <laughs> <laughs> the whirlpool? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's better. I don't like the, I don't like dying. I know I don't you don't. I like dying. But, why, but I, I, like, why is that a problem? I don't get it. Like, yeah, well, I'm glad, glad you asked that. Connotation? Please. I'm glad you asked that. I think, and this could just be me, right? Like, who am I? Who am I? But I, I think, I, I, I think in ment, I think when I think about mental health in aggregate, I really, I think this is important to me. I really want people to know that they're not broken. That there's nothing wrong with them. Nothing needs to die. Um, they're 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 perfect the way they are. They have every right to think the way they think, to feel the way they feel, and all they need is. Again, all they need is a, a shift in, and not even a shift, they need to broaden, they need to allow themselves to open up their perspective. And, um, uh, and, and, and that's, that's why I've just, you know, when, when people chat about this uh, type of care and, and chat about the idea of, of uh, moving on from like an old part of themselves, it's just, I want to remind, I want to remind people that uh, like, uh, I want them to love uh, and appreciate uh, this this person that they are um, right now, uh, and the challenges that they're facing right now are valid challenges. Um, but just deep, deep appreciation um, for every experience, whether positive or negative, that have, that have brought them to this point in life. I think is uh, something that we can all remind each other um, to just have deep appreciation that we're here, that we get to like be on this ride. This ride can be really challenging sometimes and it can be really hard to talk about and it can be really hard to ask for help. It can be really hard to find help and we should all kind of work collectively in, in figuring out that problem. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I want to remind people that um, they're absolutely perfect just the way they are. And, um, and, uh, I, I think in mental health, like, I think hope is really, really fragile. Um, and I think hope is incredibly important to hold on to. Um, and so I always want people to instill in themselves this like deep sense of gratitude for themselves and hope. I love it. I, I, awareness comes to mind. You know, I, mm. I think of this idea of awareness. I've been reading a lot about, uh, there's a really great book called The Gutenberg Galaxy by Marshall McLuhan. And in that book, he speaks about the shifting of sense ratios. And he uses typography, the ideas of exact repeatability as a way that shifted our collective way to model reality. You know, you think about that idea of exact repeatability. Like, that's a big one. That changes the way we model reality. Is it possible that, and when I hear you talking about the way in which you hope people are able to, to see and love themselves in the now, is it possible that we're, we're 
on the cusp of, of a sense ratio change, the same way typography, according to Marshall McLuhan, changed the way we model reality? Are we at a stage right now where maybe we can begin to model reality in a different way by changing yeah. like our sense ratios? Yeah, totally. Totally. Why not? <laughs> why not? Why, yeah, why not? Yeah. Like we, we're, you know, you're, you're, you're changing, um, uh, like taking to the, ex taking to the extreme over time. If, if you have just radical, radical self-empathy and empathy for those around you, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean everything's perfect. Right. Um, but it kind of changes the way in which you, you show up and, uh, and manage debate and manage differences. Um, I think it brings humanity uh, it, it kind of redefines how you bring humanity back into uh, behaviors and actions. Um, and so, yes, um, 100%. The idea that we could understand our behavior in a different way is mind-blowing to me. That can change everything. Um, that we can change our behavior in a certain way. Yeah, yeah, I think but, so. I agree. But but, but the way we Crazy. look, like, yeah, like, I don't think I'm Crazy. saying it accurately. It, like the idea that look at the, look that, at the things we yeah, look at the things we've done in our past. We've done some yes. pretty fucking wild shit, Holy, horrible but amazing at the same time. Yeah, but like we've also we're like we've got some <laughs> got some rough edges, right? <laughs> yes, we're, we're we're seeing this now in in the in the Middle East. Yes, um, uh, I mean, we've got some rough edges, and so yeah, I think if you if 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 you radically you know, take again, taking to the extreme. If if you're in a place where um, uh, human beings have their, you know, the basic needs met and fulfilled, and 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 every human being has this deep sense of of safety, acceptance, and they're able to uh, they're able to you know kind of climb Maslow's hierarchy. I, I right. think yeah, you really change kind of the throughput of uh, uh, of our kind of collective species, like who knows what we're able to accomplish. And, and I also believe that this is like a natural progression of things. I think we have to, we have to get to where we are. We have to get through this to, to naturally move to our hopeful and bright future, which is like, we got to figure out mental health and, and oh my God, there's so much we got to figure out there. Like, like I mentioned earlier, I think I think childhood development is is huge in understanding the foundation that you lay for your own psyche and mental health, and there's so much to learn and understand there. So much. Is it is it fractal? You know, like imagine someone, maybe yourself or someone you know, that's a violent person, and now just extrapolate that out. Take the long look at the x-axis, and that is humankind. Is what we're seeing right now a violent outburst? in the Middle East, in the human condition, the same way someone who's frustrated about a parking spot, maybe not the best way, but you know what I'm saying? Can we see in the in the individual that that's happening in the world? Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I think the emotion, like, I, I think, um, I think we all share the same emotions. I think we all share the same emotions. I think the um, the narratives that we attach to those emotions are different and subjective and unique to each and every one of us. Um, and the the actions, like the behaviors and actions that we take based off of the narrative that we attach to those emotions are unique and subjective to all of us. 
but I think the underlying emotions that we're all feeling are the same. Are they contagious, you think? Like it seems to me when we talk about storytelling and narratives, storytelling and narratives are a way to contain the contagion of emotion. You know, it's there's so much that's put into the storytelling and it's so powerful. You know, and we know that illness is contagious. If I get sick, then you can get sick. Is on some level the emotions of the people where I am in Hawaii contagious to the emotions of you, just even, even talking to you now in some ways it's contagious, but is that, mm -hmm. I think we could factor that into the world of mental health. Like what happens on this part of the planet is coming to that part of the planet. And you hear it in the language all the time. When the U S catches a cold, the world gets sick. You know, it's in the language already. Like why? And if we can mm -hmm. agree that the illness is contagious, then shouldn't health be contagious as well? Um, it is, it is right. It's like, uh, uh, let's simplify that. It's like, okay. it's like when you are in a movie theater with a bunch of strangers and you're watching a really sad movie, it's like everyone in that movie theater is moved by that sad movie and that, like that character journey. And it's the same thing. If it's an incredibly inspiring movie, like everyone, including me was like incredibly moved by the mighty ducks i was like oh my god <laughs> what <laughs> like what i is like how inspiring right yeah i mean like I, I think emotions are are contagious and um and i think again i think as we learn more about mental health i think um one thing that is uh worth worth thinking about and worth bringing awareness to as we all enjoy this ride uh, is 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 uh, the infrastructure through which we receive information, which is the media, uh, and and I, again, because humans are just fucking incredible, we're also we're also seeing the evolution of of how we we create and consume content, which I think is just is is speaking to how amazing we are at evolution, right? Like we are calling out and 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 noticing how. Uh, large media channels are able to do exactly this, like drive not only national narratives, but also kind of like the, the national national media carriers can be seen as like the movie. And all yeah. of us are like people sitting in the movie theater watching this movie. And if this movie is all about uh, uh, hatred and, and aggression, yep. yes. like we're all gonna we're all gonna feel that, right? And so we have to be thoughtful, and and I and I see breadcrumbs of this today, which is great. But we should be thoughtful about th throughout the course of our evolution. We should be thoughtful about um, how are we consuming content, what what do we pay it our our attention is holy, and what are we paying attention to, what is deserving of our attention, and are we are we bringing awareness to um, uh, the kind of the emotions um, uh, where we put, where we put our attention? Are we bringing awareness to the the emotions? that occur when we, when we when we put our attention focused in a certain direction and i think we're going to get smarter and smarter uh, uh about this over time and we already are yeah 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 you it doesn't take a whole lot of concentration to look back and see how fast things are changing yeah I, I, right it's it's happening as fast as you can snap your fingers and in yeah. some ways it's here, here's an interesting idea yeah. sometimes our intuitive nature like if we we spoke recently just a moment ago about how emotions can be contagious and on mm -hmm. some level if we follow that strand 
we intuitively know on some level what's wrong with the other person. We may not know exactly what caused it, but we can see heartache. We can see stress. And on some level, we know what's wrong with that person. However, sometimes that intuitive nature leads to judgment, which is what do you think is the relationship between our intuitive nature and judgment? And not that judgment's always bad, but sometimes that judgment can be bad. What, what do you think is the relationship there between our intuitive nature and judgment? I think judgment's always bad. Uh, okay. I think I think discernment is is not. Well I think said. I think judgment is um, uh, um, it's like a story, right? It's a story that you have about something yes. else, and I and I yes. think right like that yeah. that that which that which can be destroyed by the truth should be. And so I think when I think about judgment. I, th I, th I think like um, judging is, is part of the human condition. And I think what we want to bring awareness to is that we don't want to stop the judgment because judgment's going to be here for a long, long time. We might evolve away from it, but the judgment serves to protect, protect us in some way, right? It's like a mental process that is there for a reason. And we want to accept it. We want to embrace it. And we want to bring awareness to it. And I think in bringing awareness to our judgment, we realize um, that it is exactly that judgment. And I think when you bring awareness to it, you can ask uh, and communicate and you can open up a window to another person's soul and say, hey, you know, this is what I'm thinking. How do you feel about it? I think the more we communicate with candor uh, and the more, we, the more sh we share, the more vulnerable we are with each other the less we are in our heads and interacting with each other in the real world. I think, I think that's, that's for the, that's, that's for general good. Wow. Really well said. I love the idea on some level. I'm, I'm thinking maybe we're just now developing the language to solve with these problems. You know, a lot of people have a different vocabulary or if you're from a different culture, the word obedience may mean something different to you than to me. And on mm -hmm. some level, the evolution of mental health, I think, comes from communication. And when, just in that last piece alone, when we decided to define our terms and say, okay, this is judgment, this is discernment, what's the difference? That really opens up a whole lot in understanding who we are. And as, with psychedelics, too, we often find ourselves bumping up against the ineffable, like this thing we can't quite describe, but we can feel. Do you think moving mm -hmm. forward that we're moving into this new era of language. And with that new era of language comes a new mm. level of understanding. Yeah, I think so. It's funny, you mentioned feelings and we haven't really talked about that. Yeah. Um, but I think that's another thing um, that's that I'm really excited about. I'm super excited about uh, more uh, more rigor and understanding um, our like, uh, the felt sense of emotions. Uh, I think it's fascinating. Um, just being able to, um, you know, be, being able to understand this, like this mind body relationship yeah. and, um, and how emotions manifest in, in our body and how we can kind of bring awareness to that, um, I think is, is fascinating and something that is so kind of untapped, uncharted territory, especially in, uh, in Western medicine, um. I think we're we're starting to make a ton of progress, and um, I'm so excited for how that's going to evolve. Yeah, you should be. When you when we talk about Miko Health, like 
what is like the prime directive that you and your team are are building on? Um, the directive, or, we, or just like the, the foundation, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we just we, you know, we we want to focus on um, everyone being able to access root cause focused mental health care. Um, uh, so root cause focused mental health care. It's like, what is that? And to us, it's it's really just getting down to uh, working with patients and helping them identify. What are their narratives? Um, how are they feeling? What are their narratives and what are their underlying emotional needs? And, and how do we address those needs? And so we are, uh, we are working on getting patients access uh, to that type of care. It's interesting. Sometimes when I look at the world of, of psychedelics and, and medicine, I, sometimes I wonder if, it's, if, if the container, the medical container is is too impermeable you know what i mean by that like we have all the psychedelics and it's all in this container but it's there it seems to me it's really trying to be held in this container is, does that make sense is it too constrictive um i think it, it i think it's a bit like we've got all these processes and yeah. you know we've created all these like these um ways of doing things and and kind of gaining consensus and i think it's all like rooted around the right reasons it's sure. not to it's sure. not to stagnate um uh um uh research I, I think it's for safety right and so and i think that's warranted um and i, I think in that same framework we're going to have a lot of opportunities to to learn and grow 100 percent yeah, one of the areas I already see beginning to come back into the world of medicine is the measurement of subjectivity. And what I mean by that is that for a long time, science had decided, look, we're not going to count anything that we can't really measure. But what about the tears of joy from a woman who sees her husband get out of bed for the first time in six months? What about a mom who sees her kid get dressed for the first time in a week or takes a shower? Or you know, what about a questionnaire where they give a question to the wife of a guy who was abusive and is like, is your husband less of an asshole since he's been doing this? Like, these are all measurable things that I see moving back into the world of medicine. That, that, that makes me excited. That makes me excited for the world of mental health. What about you? Is there, is there some trends that you see happening in this world that are, that are really exciting for you? Um, I actually, I actually have uh, a differing opinion on this. I think okay. when we think about mental health, I, actually i'm concerned about the ways in which uh we we take the the physical uh uh the physical kind of construct or, or or roadmap that we have uh sorry the roadmap that we have for physical health and kind of laying mental health on top of that one concern that i have is uh around diagnosing the requirement of a diagnosis for mental health conditions when i think about the mental health stigma that exists today I often think about how diagnoses lead to, or at least feed into the mental health stigma. It is essentially, uh, my version of this is like, yeah. we're essentially we're essentially labeling people, yes. right? And then we're, we're also questioning why there's a mental health st stigma, why there's a stigma across mental health, but essentially because we've taken the construct of physical health, which is, what is it? Like, let's summarize it really quickly. It is like, you have, a, you have an issue, uh, you, take um you take a test you receive 
objective results. And through those results, you have a treatment plan and then you, you're on treatment, right? And yeah. so it's like, okay, I, I, you know, I feel short of breath constantly. It's like, okay, I will, uh, let me take your blood pressure. Your blood pressure is objectively high. I'm going to put you on a blood pressure medication. And it's like, uh, and, and your, your diagnosis is um, hypertension, right? And for mental health, we've kind of, like, that is a very objective test. Let me, let me put a sphygma mammometer around your arm and measure your blood pressure. And for mental health, it's like, if you take that same kind of arc, uh, it, I don't like it, right? It's kind of like, I have an issue. Okay, let me talk to someone about it. Or let me have you take a test, right? This is like, okay, PHQ-9, um, because I need to confirm that you have depression. And then I need that diagnosis so that I can decide if I'm going to give you medication. And to me, it's like, this is, uh, this is not the purpose of mental health. Mental health, in my mind, it, sure, there will always be room for diagnoses, right? Like sure, there sure. are mental health conditions that are diagnosed, like bipolar disorder. There, there's so many things. This space is going to evolve, and there are going to be reasons for diagnosis. When I think about someone with depression, anxiety, PTSD, when I think of someone that has like an emotional uh, or behavioral health issue, uh, and we want to kind of bucket them or label them and put them in a box and treatment uh, treat them with you know SSRI or certain class of medications. To me, I think we're going to look back on this yep. in a couple hundred years and we're going to be like, we're going to change it all, right? I, I genuinely believe this. I think we're going to look back and be like, what the hell were we thinking? The future of the space is going to be like, okay, someone has a mental health issue, right? We're not going to label them. We're going to uh, have them talk to someone and allow them to uh, allow themselves to have the vulnerability to effectively chat with someone about exactly what they're feeling, what story do they have, how are they feeling, give us the whole spiel, right? And then it's essentially, how do we work with that patient in helping them identify these challenging emotions, identifying the narrative that they have around those challenging emotions, and then working with them on perspective shifts. And so to me, that is like not a diagnosis that sticks with you for the rest of your life. You need medication for the rest of your life. For me, I think we're going to think about mental health as an opportunity to deepen your understanding of yourself, an opportunity to explore something about yourself that uh, you're not able to process because of uh, a challenging emotion, because of a challenging event for something. But it's like maintaining the integrity of this human being that there's nothing wrong with you. You are not broken right? Because of reasons that we yet don't understand. I believe a lot of it has to do with childhood development. Yeah. But for reasons we don't understand, you had an experience that created an emotion, a strong negative emotion, and you have a story around it. And this story, uh, in, in, instead of being processed, this story continues every day throughout your life. The volume of that story is turned up every single day, and you want to talk to someone about it. And so you need support in deepening your understanding of this part of you that is really challenging and we're going to support you and you're going to come out the other side it brings when me you back come to, out the other yeah, side please. when you come out the other side you are going to have a deeper understanding of yourself such that you've now developed a higher sense of agency the volume the noise on this narrative has essentially, you can control the volume on this noise. That is agency. You can realize when the volume is really high. 
And because you deepen your understanding of where this narrative comes from, where this, what this emotional need is asking for, you can turn the volume down and continue on with your life day to day. I think we're going to look back at mental health and not say that, oh, this feeling that you have is wrong and we need to remove it from your life. <laughs> we're going to look at mental health and say, this feeling is, is interesting. Let us seek to understand what's going on there. And then as this feeling kind of continues to pop up throughout your life, because it's a part of you, how do you manage it? Instead of reacting to it, how are you in control of it? And how do you kind of work with it? And, and I think this is a huge part of psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, one that uh, my co-founders and I are really uh, uh, focused on and want to get right, which is integration. Like this is the process of integration. It is, it is not kind of rejecting or, or tearing away parts of you, but it really is like deepening your understanding of, of yourself, uh, uh, your emotions, and how can you manage them so that you can develop a sense of agency in your life. I love the way you explained it. I love the idea of the volume control and agency and, and getting people to see that they are their own worst enemy, but also the, the cure. They also are the solution to their own problem. Who else? They're better? perfect. They're, per They're okay. perfect. Yeah. Right. They're absolutely human beings are absolutely perfection, <laughs> right? And we just need we're, every, everyone's perfect, and we just need help um, managing these kind of challenging emotions. We need to be able to ask for and receive support. Yeah, getting out of our own way seems to be an issue sometimes. Mm -hmm. it, it it brings me back to this idea of archaic revival that we spoke about early on in the conversation. Where when I think of rites of passage or ceremonies, in some ways. You get to be the individual that looks up to the person that may be going through the rite of passage. You get to be the person in the rite of the passage. And later in life, you get to be the person welcoming the person through the rite of passage. You know, on some level, I think that there's an agency there. The ability to get to see yourself in all three of those positions has been something that's been stripped away from the Western model of medicine. You know, there's something very powerful about that. And I, I guess you can see it in Huxley's work, whether it's Brave New World or The Island. You know, is is mm. it is the is it this medical model of we're here, we're gonna do it in this linear fashion where these are alphas, betas, or are we gonna do it more in like the the uh, the fashion of the island where look, we all have we all play these different roles in life. And and if if you're mm. a young man and you can watch your brother go through this ceremony, you know what mm. to look forward to. If you're the brother in the ceremony, you can look at your little brother and be like, one day he's going to go through this. I need to be strong for this. You know, and mm. I, th I think that the, I think that there's a connection there that we're missing with mental health. Do you see a connection between these old rites of passage and, and, mm. and ceremonies and the lack of it in Western medicine today? Is there a problem there? I don't think it's a problem. I think it's just a part of our evolution, right? We, okay. um, we, we were scared of, we were scared of this, this thing. Um, uh, we ran away from it. We pushed yeah. it away. It's coming back. It's coming back on our. It's coming back on our terms, right? It's coming back yeah. through the medical model. It's our terms, and uh, and again, I think I think over the course of time, um, I wish I had a crystal ball, um, but over the course, but 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 what I do know is that right, we are incredibly uh, smart and resourceful creatures, and over the course of time. I wouldn't be surprised if this was more, uh, less of a medical model and more of a, uh, it's just a part of the human experience. Love I it. think if, if, if I were to play with that, I would think, uh, and again, right. 
long x-axis of time things move fast and slow i think you know med medical model uh we gain comfort human human beings in western medicine gain comfort on the medical model for a certain amount of time we start to realize there's advocacy there's grassroots advocacy for uh this type of ceremonial experience for end of life um, yes. and 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 there's going to be continued state statewide legislative support uh, for states to gain autonomy in this as kind of a ceremonial practice i think the federal government is slow and you i, I think i think you're going to start to see large advocacy uh for for this in in medicare for end of for specifically for grieving and for end of life because i think we're going to realize um how important uh the, the concept of death with dignity is um mm. to the kind of to the to this this this, this uh, incredible thing that is the human experience right and so then i think after that we're going to start normalizing uh the process of grieving and the process of dying with with some of these medicines outside of probably initially within the medical model uh and then more kind of on the fringe edges of the medical model for uh, for end of life and probably more into like a ceremonial practice um with patients and then with their families respectively and then after that i think there's going to be further unlocks to say hey there are other areas uh, uh there are other areas and in, in, in chapters throughout human the human life where we can apply this kind of concept um, because we would have had such profound uh, uh, experiences uh, and understanding from using these uh, uh, medications in, in the end of life setting that we would be like, let's, let's expand this even further. Let's expand this to, uh, you know, what we're, what we're doing now. We're already doing this in, in, uh, in other parts of the world. We have these, um, uh, you know these these ceremonies uh, in South America and Jamaica. Um, there's one that that I that I caught. Um, there's a ceremony specifically for parents uh, mm. to go through psilocybin sessions. They were grieving the loss of a child. And it's like, of, of course, you know, of 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 of, of, of we're doing it now. Of, of course, that's in our future. It's a matter of you know how how fast are we going to get there? I don't know. Um, but talking about it's a start. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, you know, on some level, it, it sounds to me like we're beginning to bridge the gap between science and spirituality and understanding that they're one and the same. I think that plays a vital role in mental health too, is that for so long that there's been this separation and this coming together of what, what is your take on the, on the bridging the gap between science and spirituality? I don't, I don't know. I, I think, I, when I think about science, I think about um, experiments and curiosity, and uh, and measurements. And I think I think we're still early in this space. When I think about spirituality and mental health, for some reason I think about someone's spirit. And when I think about someone's spirit, I think about someone's essence and like who someone is. And when I think about asking someone about their mental health and kind of reframing it or simplifying it as asking someone like, Hey, how are you feeling? Um, I'm like really checking in on, on their spirit. Like, how are they doing? And so I, th I think there's, there's an overlap here of, of whatever, you know, um, uh, whatever you want to call it. But, um, I, I think mental health and spirituality are, are one and the same. Yeah, me too. I, I really like that. I, 
I mean, I love what you're doing. I love the way in which you're making sense of the world. And um, for everybody watching right now, if if they want to get a hold of you, if they're interested in some of the things you're saying, where's the best? Where's how can people find you? What what, what do you got coming up? Where can people find you? At? Yeah, um, check us out on our website, uh, MikoHealth.com. Uh, my co-founders Damian, Nick, and I are on LinkedIn. Hit us up, message us, yeah. uh, shoot us an email. Uh, we're always uh, looking to uh, chat with like-minded individuals in the space, um, especially therapists, psychiatrists, um, and employers. Um, we 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 firmly believe we're taking one small step in in the in kind of pursuing the future of the space, and we're focused on getting this covered. Um, by employers as a benefit, and uh, and we're just obsessed with this work. I think it's an integral part of it, and I'm I can see on some level how the mental health in the workplace is a real problem. It's a real problem, and maybe that maybe there's answers to it with using these different modalities. Yeah, I well, yeah, I think mental health in the workplace is a challenge. I think mental health in general is a challenge. Yeah. Just because us, we Agreed. collect, we we collectively, you know, again, we have a really, really primitive understanding of mental health, and um, I think with this, with where society's at today, with FDA approval of uh, pending approval of MDMA, COM three hundred and sixty, with with society uh, accepting ketamine, uh, uh, and again, I think it's really important that we're using these medications as an adjuvant to psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. I think we are, we are huge proponents of this kind of new ethos of mental health care. And, um, and we believe that it's going to really positively impact tons of people's lives. Do you think that there may be a problem with a disassociative? You know, sometimes when we think of a disassociative, we can think of a different perspective on how to see ourselves, but a disassociative could also be something that causes us to run away from the problem that we need to face in order to get better. I think so. I think we should be really mindful of what data looks like over time, and we should continue to study uh, uh, data and outcomes data. I think one of the things that's really important is companies that are working in the space need to measure um, mm. outcomes data at the top of the funnel, bottom of the funnel on a patient by patient basis. And I think what's interesting about uh, these medicines is I think they're going to be incredibly unique on an individual basis. Um, so the experience is not going to be single threaded across all human beings. I think it's really similar to today, right? It's hard to think about now, but it's really similar to today, looking back at how we're currently treating mental health, which is like, you know, Hey, try this SSRI. If it doesn't work, maybe we'll put you on a different one. If that doesn't work, maybe we'll move to a tricyclic antidepressant or an SNRI. And when I think about, um, uh, when I think about the optionality that that allows patients, which is every human being is different and not not one thing is a good fit for everyone. But I think the future of psychedelic assisted psychotherapy is going to be very similar in that uh, you're going to want to be allowed the opportunity to have access to this type of care. And you're going to realize uh, some of these types of care are not going to be as efficacious for you or or, or as grounding for you as, uh, or as healing for you as other types of care within the modality of psychedelic assistance psychotherapy. But I do think optionality is important and I think access is important. So here's a question that maybe you, that is unique. I think you'll have a unique perspective on, and it's, I think a lot of people in the world of medicine sometimes think that there's a, 
maybe too much money being spent on trying to discern the mechanism of action. Like there's too many variables. We may never thoroughly understand the mechanism of action. It works. Why can't we move forward with it? Um, <laughs> how, do you de- how, do you, how do you decide that something works? I think you can see someone's life getting better through the tears of the people around them that love them and they're coming back to life. They're rejoining with the world around them and reconnecting. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think today society as a, as a whole, like we like, we like checks and balances, right. And this, this all comes down to safety, right. Safety, responsibility. Um, we trust the government, too much, too much. <laughs> uh, uh, right? We like, right? We we uh, we we want to we want to feel as human nature. We want to feel safe, right? We want to feel safe, and we want to know that the powers that be have put in all the thought and rigor, and uh, and have like we've we've removed this responsibility from ourselves and put them onto someone else, the FDA in this case, to say that hey. Um, this is this is safe and uh, and effective, and so uh, in that construct that exists today, right, wrong, or indifferent, today that means that you kind of have to go through the process of whatever the FDA is asking for. What is the mechanism of action? Can you prove efficacy data? Can you prove safety data? And I'm in the I'm of the position that that is that's a good thing. Like let's let's play right. on the playing field that exists today. And again, over time, it's going to evolve. Remember when we used to go to the barbershop and we used to have infections and we would do bloodletting like a hundred years ago. We would just like have a barber cut our veins open because we thought that was medicine. Like everything we're all this is going to change really quickly and for the better. Yeah. It's, it's intriguing and fascinating and mind blowing and a little scary at the same time to see all these things unfolding at the rate at which they're unfolding. I I'm mesmerized by it. Is there I know you're, I know you have places to be and things to do. Is there anything that we didn't cover yet that, that you want to talk about for a moment? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I think we covered, I think we covered a lot and <laughs> it was a really, yeah, George, it was a really engaging conversation and I had so much fun. Uh, you started, uh, I think you started the show, the show with a, a poem and uh, I'm, I'm wondering if I can, close out the show uh with a poem as well and the context if i'm allowed to the context here is uh really again when i think about mental health and for anyone that's listening i think one of the most important things when you're thinking about a loved one or even your own mental health journey is to just focus on hope i think it is incredibly fragile and so i'm gonna read a poem please Um, I think she needs no introduction, Emily Dickinson. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that's kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, but never in extremity, it asked a crumb of me. Hope is a thing with feathers. And that's it. 
It's beautiful. What am I going to say to that? I got nothing to say, man. There's nothing else to say. Ladies and gentlemen, hang on briefly afterwards, please. I'd like to speak to you for one more moment. But ladies and gentlemen, please go to the show notes. Check it out. Check out the conversation. Reach out to him and his partners on LinkedIn if you want to be part of or learn more about what they're doing. Do yourself a huge favor. It's an incredible insight, and it's 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 wonderful. That's all we got for today, ladies and gentlemen. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.